Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Oh, I love that music. Sekou Smith here at headquarters, Hangtime Podcast. My main man, G.A. Greg Anthony with me here. Happy birthday, brother. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Young I fella. Do, I, I mean, do. you know, you, you make 30 look good, man. I did, man, you know what? <laughs> 30 is the new 30. You know? <laughs> I'm going with it. That's my story. And I'm sticking Stick to it. to it. Stick to it. Look, five weeks in. Around the NBA, and the parody is not going anywhere, G.A. It still looks like the Detroit Pistons, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers. Some of these upstart teams might be here to stay this season. Might oh, yeah. be, might be an issue for some of the, the heavyweights. And speaking of the heavyweights, we got a showdown Thursday night on TNT. Mm. Golden State Warriors and Boston Celtics. All the, the big stars on that stage. Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, and that young Celtics crew shocking everybody. 13 straight wins against... Steph, KD, Draymond, Clay, and the champion Warriors. I'm looking forward to it. I know mm-hmm. you are because oh, this is an opportunity to get an early season litmus test for both these squads. Well, and it's really more of a litmus test for the Celtics. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the Warriors have been in the last three finals, one, two of the last three championships. We, we know who the Warriors are. And obviously the Celtics are a really good team. We knew they'd be good. Just not this We game. want to find out, well, especially without Gord Hayward. Yeah. But what we want to find out, are they championship caliber good? Right. And I say that not whether or not they win the game. When when that when I watch that game, I'm not looking at it and say, okay, can they win the game? No. I'm watching it to see can they match up. Right. What are the moments within that yeah, game? Yeah. Where, you know, are they going to be, what are going to be the issues for them if that match, match right. up comes for which? Right. Those are the kinds of things you got to look at in those moments it's yeah. not about whether or not they can win the game or not it's whether or not you can play a seven game series can, yeah. against that team because golden state it's an important game for them too yes they look forward to these games because they need the motivation <laughs> yeah you've been to three straight finals you know regular season doesn't have the same meaning yeah. you know you love to play the game but these are the games that have a little bit extra juice in them for you yeah you went seven straight for the warriors now and it's like whatever you know, nobody blinks. No. So, going to be interesting. TNT Thursday night showdown, Warriors Celtics. But we got a jam-packed show for you in addition to all that. We're going to talk about the evolution of Kevin Durant with GQ staff writer Zach Barron, who's fantastic article out on uh, GQ Online, uh, newsstands already, about KD's wild summer and kind of his mindset after all that. And, of course, we'll dig into uh, some more of that Celtics crazy run they got going right now with Ashrod Blakely of NBC Sports Boston. And you know we can't get out of here without a little Schumann stat and some bragging rights. Shoo. But first, let's get, let's get Zach here to break down, you know, the always evolving persona and psyche that is Kevin Durant. <laughs> we spend an inordinate amount of time in NBA circles trying to uh, – deconstruct the psyche of players around this league. Mm-hmm. None more so than Kevin Durant. Uh, and joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast this week, Zach Barron, GQ staff writer, who probably did as good a job as anybody I've seen, you know, diving into the KD topic and then had the, the great fortune of being around KD <laughs> 
during the midst of his wild and crazy Twitter summer, yeah. uh, so to speak. <laughs> uh, Zach, how you doing, man? And listen, I know the the new feature story on KD drops online today. Uh, magazine is already on newsstands. Tell me a little bit about what your impressions of, of KD were when you were with him during the story compared to what they've been to the KD you've known, you know, since you first met him. Well, so I had done a story on KD, I guess, 2015, mm-hmm. second story I've done with Kevin. And in Oklahoma City, where he was at the time, he was a guy who was kind of figuring out the world. You know, I, I feel like small market team, but also a person who had just kind of his whole life had been basketball, you know, which is not, I guess, unusual for an NBA player, but for him, it was, was really, it was all he kind of knew. Mm-hmm. And get a little money, get a little fame, the world starts seeming interesting. And at the time, he was like, oh, man, I just went to Hawaii. I took a vacation, you know. I, I found out what that was like, <laughs> you know. It was like, I, I didn't know vacations existed. And it was, it was a, kind of a very endearing moment, and you could tell he was sort of thinking about his future and, and not just the sort of basketball future, but also his kind of future as a human being in the world and the opportunities that were out there for him. So that was then. This story was reported kind of this summer. He and I went to, to India together. We went to Delhi mm-hmm. for an NBA thing he was doing and a, and a court opening for his charitable foundation and uh, in San Francisco where he was at a, a tech crunch thing. And it was the summer after he won an NBA championship with a completely different team. You know, so he had made in the interim some of these choices that he was clearly thinking about making about, sure. you know, is there a better basketball situation for me? Is there a better situation for me as a man, uh, you know, and they'll give me access to stuff I don't know about and haven't done yet. So the difference was like very, very jarring. But then at the same time, he really was the same guy in a, in a completely consistent kind of endearing way, I thought. Mm. Hey, Zach, and you talk about him being the same guy. And, and Seiko and I were just talking about this prior to you coming on. And, and it was a, it is a really terrific read. And I definitely recommend that our, our listeners go and, and, and tap into that. But, you know, being the same guy and the perception of the guy, they don't always mesh. And I, I don't know that we've ever had a superstar that in some respects that perception is probably a lot further from reality. You know, and, and maybe is that because maybe of him being in that small market for his entire career up until the move? to Golden State, but did you get that sense, like, from what the perceptions of Kevin Durant were as a person and, and necessarily who he actually is and has evolved into? Yeah, and, and I, I so agree with what you're saying about the gap between how people perceive him and the person that he is. And, and I think part of it is a, is a, yes, he was in Oklahoma City. and I think sometimes we forget because basketball is so national now and there's league pass and all that, but it, it's just different when you're in New York or L.A., you know, or, or Oakland than in, the, than in these smaller market cities where there's a couple of beat writers. And, and most of the time, you just don't really hear what these guys are saying. You know, he and I were talking a little bit about how, you know, he, he's kind of gotten this reputation um, before his Twitter incident of, hey, that, guy, that guy's really honest. He's like, yeah. people ask him questions on Twitter and he answers. And I said, you know. Where was that guy before? He was like, nobody asked me any questions before. He was like, no one was trying to talk to me. And, you know, this has been arguably the second best player in the league for some time now. But from his perspective, he was like, people weren't, before I changed teams, people just weren't that interested. Really? I, see, that's strange. I, I think, you know, Zach, that KD has got a, a vision of what the world thinks of him on the outside. And I think we all have a perception of him 
that's complete 180 from what he what his perception of himself is in our eyes like he's he's been an un, unbelievable player since his rookie year he's it, to me he's always had a chip on his shoulder battling for some kind of legitimacy that really wasn't there he's he, he's been legitimized for years <laughs> yes you know and yeah. and I, I wonder how much of that do you think is his upbringing and and kind of the the backstory he brought to being a professional player he said something so fascinating to me, which he, he said, you know, in high school, my games weren't packed out. He's like, we didn't even play at night a lot of the time. And, and you do, you think about, think about someone like LeBron, who is a phenom, identified as such from very young. Even in high school, his games are an event, and he has people around, and, and he's sort of learning to, to deal with both the attention and also feeling like he's worthy of it, you know. And then you take someone like Steph, who's Kevin's teammate now, Steph Curry, who grew up, professional athlete father, kind of grew up in that world, got taught a lot of the rules, very comfortable there. Kevin's image of himself is, I'm a guy who no one paid attention to <laughs> in high school, yeah. didn't have a lot of experience with this, this kind of, you know, attention, and, and then, you know, he's, a, he's not the first pick, he's the second pick, you know, and he plays kind of one year in Seattle, and then they move, and, and I, I think... His perception is, we all were like, man, this guy's amazing. But his was like, I've never been, I've never gotten the attention until recently that yeah. these other guys got. You know, and I also didn't get the sort of training in that attention that other guys got, which kind of explains some of the Twitter stuff and, and uh, you know, the, the perception of him as being, for lack of a better word, a little sensitive. Oh, I, I think a little sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> but that that, that kind of ties into, though, because I, I think it does explain the sensitivities because he didn't grow up in the fishbowl. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of ironic, too, because, you know, when you say second best player in the world, which which he is, that's not, necess- that's not a knock. But when you look at the amount of attention – that the first to the second gets yeah. in relation to, yeah. those, to to these two because you know or think about it when Sha- when Kobe was arguably the second best player he was still as popular yeah if not more, more so, so than the the most than the best player yeah. you know and 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 so I I wonder though if that plays into it because LeBron's shadow is so large and he's been so savvy and been the forefront you know of all things basketball for so long that it's allowed Kevin to kind of fly under the radar. I mean, even now, think about it. How much are we talking about Kevin Durant this season prior to Zach's article? I know. Like they're the defending world champs. They've gotten off to another good start, finals MVP, and you're not hearing, you know, of all the great storylines this year in the league, and Zach, I know you follow it. Kevin Durant is not towards the top of that list, which Generally, you come off that world championship, you tend to be more of the focus. I mean, you're not getting as much attention as Lonzo Ball is. <laughs> no, and not just not just championship, finals MVP. Yeah. And not just finals MVP, but LeBron is on that court, too. He's on the other side of that that, that loss. I mean, and, and it's game three, right, that Kevin hits, hits a three-pointer over him to win that game. So even that, that first, second look. I'll I'll just like come clean and be like, yeah, I think LeBron is the best. But there's an argument for Durant. I mean, he went on that court and and arguably outplayed LeBron. Yes. Um, and 
yeah, here we are in the beginning of the season. And, yeah, it's like we talk about Fultz, like who is not even playing, you know, or Alonzo yeah. Ball. And Duran is playing great on a team that's playing great. And, yeah, just nobody talks about it, um, which I actually think is probably the way he would prefer it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I but agree. It is strange. It's really strange. Zach, the Twitter situation in September, obviously, where he's – Posting tweets in the third person, crit- <laughs> criticizing, using his burner burner Twitter or whatever Joel and B calls it, right? Yeah, <laughs> you got to have a burner Twitter, <laughs> man. Come yeah. on, criticizing the Thunder, Billy Donovan, kind of kind of came to the defense of Russell Westbrook in the midst of this whole thing. What was that day? I mean, the way I understand it, you were there. How did that day unfold for Kevin Durant? And and do you think he was he's realizing? The, the gravity of what happened, just like of being outed like that? Because I thought the way he came clean about it was pretty refreshing. Every other dude on the planet would have been like, hey, I got hacked. <laughs> you know, every I would have said I got hacked. <laughs> and he owned up to it. Yeah. Yeah, and so for context, I was actually supposed to see him in San Francisco anyway. We just had a plan to meet, mm-hmm. and uh, it just happened to be – the day that the Twitter stuff came out, and um, to his Great credit, day. like I, he was just like still met up, <laughs> right. and we still talked, and and I was with him for the 24 hours mm-hmm. after that happened, which was a fascinating 24 hours, <laughs> and you know I encountered him on a Monday afternoon, just basically looking at Twitter like everybody else, just trying to see what people were saying, <laughs> right. trying to deal with it, trying to kind of deal with the embarrassment, um, and then of course, which I think has still been kind of lost, is. That guy said, finally said what he thought about Oklahoma City. And I think that's always what he thought, but he had done an amazing job throughout the entire <laughs> year of not actually saying, hey, look, I, I had some issues with the way this, this team was constructed and with its, its chances of winning. And he just had, he had done such a good job of, not, of never blaming that team, and then he kind of did it. And I think that, in a way, was the most excruciating thing because the world kind of knew how he felt. Of course, it's also very embarrassing to have people make fun of you for having <laughs> burn our Twitter account, and he was coping with that too. And in a in a very human way, I mean, the thing I really love about Kevin Durant, and I just think that I, I wish people understood a little bit better, is that guy is kind of a raw nerve. He's a he's a these a lot of people in the spotlight, a lot of professional athletes, they they get a little tough. They get a little like used to attention, able to deflect able to tune stuff out, and I think he can, he can do that on a basketball court. We have a lot of evidence of that. But off the court, that guy is like a, a very, very emotional, very, very feelings close to the surface type of person. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine how he reacted when, you know, 100,000 people were making fun of him on Twitter. Yeah. I, I just <laughs> felt like the Kevin Durant we saw, guys, giving that speech after he won the MVP – was a guy who captured a segment of the pub public that maybe previously hadn't been fans of his because of the the viral nature of that speech, him talking about his mother and his brother and, and the way they came up. There were people who I, I know don't know much about basketball were like, I love this Kevin Durant. Yeah. My wife being one of them. Like, oh, I love Durant now all of a sudden because he, <laughs> you know, and I was like, you, I said, I've been covering the NBA for two decades. You never mentioned. <laughs> now all of a sudden you love Kevin Durant. Well, his yeah. mom, they got a Lifetime movie about his mom. And, you know, and to me, like all great athletes who are who get to that level, the public nowadays is almost waiting 
to take you down. Like in this yeah. this Twitter stuff and everything else, after he changes teams and leaves, it was like a lot of people may have been sitting around rubbing their hands together going, oh, okay, great. He's not the he's not the dude we thought he was, and now he's this guy. Zach, do you feel like the real Kevin Durant, for lack of a better word, because I'm not, I got to go back and look at what his burner account was and what his – but do you feel like the real Kevin Durant has emerged in the wake of leaving Oklahoma City? I think it had, and I, I think kind of in a way the tragic thing about um, the Twitter thing was I think he's a lot more reluctant yeah. now to kind of show yeah. who he is. And, and you know, I, th- I think also we got to talk about, you know, these guys have Nike campaigns. They have, they have ad agencies kind of telling stories for them. And, again, if you're someone like LeBron – you kind of control a lot of that. But if you're KD and the campaign is like you're the nicest guy in the league and then the Nike campaign is KD is not nice and then the, <laughs> then there's shoes, the cupcake shoes, where <laughs> right. everything that everybody said about him and his, his score lines from the finals, and it's, none of that's his idea. And he'll tell you that. Mm. That, that, that is, is, a, is a shoe company making decisions about how to sell stuff. And maybe in the past he was a little bit too quick to – let them sort of spin out narratives about who he is. But the honest guy, the actual guy who he is, is exactly what is the MVP speech guy, and it's frankly the, the guy who spent a lot of last year finally giving fascinating interviews. I mean, I don't know yeah. if people remember, but he was, a, he was a, like a great quote all spring. He was a, he was a great quote all summer. He, you know, he would tell you what he thought about Trump, and he would right. tell you what he thought about the league, and he would tell you what he thought about his fellow players. You know? And there's not a lot of guys in the league who are like that, he was for a second, and, and now I think we're, we'll probably not see a ton more of that um, because, because he really felt burned, you know, uh, by what happened. You know, but the thing about him, too, and you, you just talked about it, Zach, it really is who he is. But the way his career has gone, it's allowed him to kind of stay under the radar because when he was that tremendous player in OKC, they still weren't necessarily the champs, right? It's a small market. And so you get to see what everybody sees in terms of who he is, but he's not at that LeBron Steffler level, right, in terms of popularity uh, and exposure. Then he goes to Golden State where, yeah, he's their best player, but he's not the face of the franchise. It's still Steph Curry. Steph Curry's the face of the franchise. And so in a weird way, you know, the transition's made easier for him because he doesn't have to change. And that's the thing that happens sometimes when you become a superstar is sometimes you do have to change because of the responsibility that comes along with being that superstar. He doesn't have to because of the environment he's in. And and knowing how calculated and how smart he is, you got to wonder, too, he, he had to know that this would allow him to continue to be him by going to Golden State, like we just talked about earlier, the fact that here he is, a world champ, MVP of the finals, and he's still kind of on the back burner when you talk about the storylines of the NBA. And he said as much to me. He said, look, I don't have to be the face of the franchise in Golden State. Steph will do that, you know? And if you want a, if you want a good quote, go to Draymond. And, <laughs> and, and it's like, and he was well aware of that. And I, I agree that that's, that, that motivated the decision in a way it was a self-knowledge thing. It was him being like, I don't, and he says this in the story, it's like, I don't, 
I don't really want to be a leader like that. I don't want to be the first guy up. You know, I'll go on the court and be the best player and be an example to other players, but I don't, I don't want to have to be the face of a franchise. And I think that was a huge appeal to the, the, the Golden State thing. And it was the result of some hard-won, you know, hard-won self-knowledge about, like, this is actually the type of person I am. And the LeBron comparison, which has dogged him his whole career, and he thinks about it a ton. I mean, he talks about it in stories like Big Bro and 1A <laughs> and 1B and talks about how LeBron's decisions really inform his. But LeBron is like, put it all on me. I'm here. That's just not Kevin's personality. And part of, I feel like, for him getting a little bit older was saying, like, that's okay. And I'm going to find a situation where my personality works with the, the team that I'm on, the situation I'm in. Zach Barron, GQ staff writer, joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Great timing, by the way, with the story about KD coming out. The Warriors and Celtics going at it on TNT Thursday night. Zach, listen, I don't know who your publicist is, but this is this is pretty good work now. This is... This is working the calendar to all of our advantages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we might we may have a few people looking at a few things, but you know, you know. <laughs> but the the one other thing about Kevin Durant, I'm curious about GA, and you could understand this as well as anybody. Zach, there's a vacuum, as you know, in any sport where there are iconic players that come along, and players that get caught up in the wake and in the wave of that vacuum, and to me. I'm curious if if KD is going to be the casualty from a superstar standpoint of the LeBron age and whatever comes after LeBron because he's so close in age to LeBron that he's not going to be able to escape the obvious comparisons. But what if Ben Simmons or somebody else, Joel Embiid, ends up being the next face of the NBA? And, and, you know, and it could be three, four, five, six, seven years from now. KD will still be a great player. Nobody will dispute that. One right. of the all-time greats, a Hall of Famer. But he won't get his time to be the face, the global face of the league. He might not care about it. But I'm wondering, for you, for people like us who chronicle this stuff, do you think KD might be the guy who gets caught up in that? I, th- I think he might. But I think that, you know, we we as fans really – buy into that, you know, who's number one, who, who's like kind of, when we tell the story of this, who are we going to tell a story about? And it's easy to forget that these just, these guys are men who have to live in the world too yeah. and have different sort of skill sets. And I think for him, in a way, the scenario you describe, if it comes to pass, it might honestly be a relief, you know, mm-hmm. with the exception of the fact that he takes a lot of pride, obviously, and what a good basketball player he is. And I, I, you kind of can't, can't say that enough. Like, second best player in the world is an insane thing to be. It's just <laughs> like, like that none of us will ever get anywhere near that. And I think that he would be disappointed if when this is all said and done, people don't realize kind of what an amazing player he is and, and was. And, and I think about this, too. You just watch him and you're like, this is just this is ridiculous. This is like, like I think about him in the finals. This is insane. Yeah. Look at the look at that guy's numbers in the finals. He's scoring, you know, thirty nine points a game practically. Uh, it's just amazing to watch, and it is kind of sad because he can't quite do the other stuff, so he doesn't quite get his due. But I think as long as people remember what he was like on the court, I don't think he'll care that he never got a chance to be the face of the NBA. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point. He won't care. And he probably won't. And part of that is because 
it's not just about your ability. It's also your personality and your popularity. Yeah. That also plays a role. Because if you think about it, and I've made this comment about, you know, when everybody talks about the greatest player ever, the average person's first thought is always Michael Jordan. Always. But it's because of how big of an iconic figure he became. You think about a guy like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and in some respects has a similar kind of career to Durant in that more of a low-key guy. Not Now, Durant's more popular from the standpoint he does some marketing. Yeah. Um, and in the era we live in, it's easier to be popular. But, you know, they're more understated, and, and it's just their natural personality. They're not life-of-the-party type people. And in some respects, I think that'll affect, you know, a legacy for the casual fan, not for the diehard, not for the person who's passionate and loves it, yourself, Sekou, right. uh, Zach, obviously, and, and someone like myself. We'll always have that appreciation, but sometimes that casual fan won't because they didn't, he may not get to the iconic figure. In, 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 in some respects, even with more success in Golden State because of Steph and Clay yeah. and Draymond, because... You know, with Michael, no one talks about Scotty or whoever else he played. It was Michael. Yeah, they're not on that same level. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, even LeBron is in the same dynamic, right? Yeah, he because doesn't have anybody. He's that, played yeah. with other great players right. like Michael did, but it's still LeBron. Right. You know, Kobe had Shaq. Yeah. And so that, that, I think, also plays a role. It does. Zach, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm curious too, Zach, before we let you get out of here, what are your impressions of KD's future? Um, does he seem like, and I know we're going to set, set the bay on fire with this line of questioning, but does he seem like a guy in your eyes that's in, that's in the Bay area for the foreseeable future. And that's where he wants to dig in and plant his NBA roots. Um, you know, what do you think his future holds in terms of where we could see him four or five years from now? Yeah, I, uh, I don't want to speculate too much, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or betray any confidences. Right, but, right. Um, you know, I think that he, I think that he, you know, he said when, when, when we were talking in, in San Francisco, he was like, you know, it's still pretty new. Still wake up in a new city, look out the window. He has a very nice view. But he's like, this doesn't look like home, you know. And he wasn't saying that in like a I don't like being here type of way. But he was saying it in a this is an experiment that is well underway. Yeah. Type of way. And if you think about his personality and the way that he's actually, you know, the Oklahoma City thing, people can interpret that however they want, but he's a pretty loyal guy. Um, and he's a pretty, he, he's, a, he's a guy who likes a, a narrative that's a little emotional. And so I think going forward, you could see him sort of looking at, like, how do I tell the best story here in the kind of Kevin Durant way? And, I, you know, I, ultimately I don't know if that means going back to OKC, you know. I don't know if that means if Seattle gets a franchise, he's like, <laughs> let's, let's really close the circle. But you could sort of see him making choices that kind of are very much like his personality, which is like, what is a nice, cool thing I can do? You know, I don't yeah. think it'll be super mercenary. I don't think it'll be ring-chasing, you right. know. And I, I think that right now he just loves the situation in Golden State and is just going to stay there as long as it's that good. You know, after that, I think he'd be the first to say who knows. Right. That's great stuff. Zach Barron, GQ staff writer, joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. The story on Kevin Durant, which is fascinating, uh, drops online today. 
magazines or newsstands. We're not even going to talk about Colin Kaepernick, Gal Gadot, any any of the other covers. We'll just we'll just hold you hostage on KD. Uh, we won't get you any more trouble. <laughs> Look, man, you want to talk about Gal Gadot? We could do that. You know? <laughs> we appreciate it, though, Zach. And again, man, fantastic read. We'll be we'll be reading you nonstop, like like we said from now on, man. We appreciate it so much. Y'all are very kind. Thank uh, you. All right, thanks, man. G eight. One one postscript about Kevin Durant that I'm that I'm going to hold for later for a later discussion is at some point he's going to to have to look back in hindsight on his own career his own time in the spotlight because he strikes me as a dude that once you know a lot of these guys they get away from basketball and they become announcers whatever he strikes me as a dude that's going to go as far away from the game mm-hmm. for as much as he loves it I can see him sailing around the world and yeah. Doing all these different things because there's a curiosity about his personality. I, I remember when he went to the Super Bowl and and took photos for the Players Tribune. Like this is a guy to me who has some unresolved exploration about yeah. Kevin Durant that he wants to get into that he knows is not possible at at this current stage because of the responsibility he has as one A, one B, whatever wherever he ranks uh, on the global you know scale of basketball player. I think you make a great point. I, I think and. Zach talked about a little bit in their interviews. I think, you know, when you're in his position and you grew up like he grew up, the world's really small, right? And he also has has such great tunnel vision on his craft that you don't really entertain what else is out there. Now he's finally getting a taste of what the world offers, and he's and. More importantly, he's finding out he has an interest in it. Yeah, you know he likes the the, the <laughs> taste of it, and so I agree with you. I think he will continue to explore. And that's the thing that you learn, and I, you know I tell people this all the time about you know the beauty of the game from my perspective is the world that it opened up to me. Because when you're a poor kid growing up in the inner city, especially in our era where you didn't have social media, you yeah. didn't have the internet, so the world was even smaller. You basically knew your neighborhood. You know, we used to joke about, like, even how the game is played today, right? All the top players, they all know each other from middle school. Right. Because they're all playing against each other weekly all yeah. over the country. <laughs> when we were, you know, in high school, if you were the best guard in the country or one of them, you might not see the other best player at your position for a year. <laughs> he could walk in the gym and you, you wouldn't know what he looked like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you didn't have the opportunity – to have that interaction, and so it, it it was so much smaller now, because of all the, of technology and and the fact that the game is so popular now, the world is a lot smaller. And you start finding man this, and and you start seeing how much more there is to be offered because of that. And I think you're right. I think Kevin seems to be the kind of personality that's going to take full advantage of it. You know, he's so focused now on giving all he has to the game to to be the best player he can, but. You can you can tell, man, that he's gonna, you know, like we've seen with Magic Johnson, right? He, he's gonna live it to the fullest, yeah, man. There's and, more. And experience there's it. more out there for Kevin Durant in the future. This, again, this uh, Zach Barron article in GQ is is really good. You need to check it out. Um, online drops today, and uh, we appreciate Zach and and the folks at GQ for letting him come on and talk about it because this is something that might not be the top of conversation everywhere, but it's certainly gonna be one that. It goes on and on. Kevin Durant and his continued evolution, uh, you know, as a superstar and as a member of that Golden State Warriors team and trying to get back and win another championship. G.A., we couldn't spend any time talking about the Warriors and not mention 
their nemesis on the other side <laughs> of this monster matchup uh, on TNT Thursday night, the Boston Celtics. And, yes. and our main man, A. Sherrod Blakely of NBC Sports Boston, is uh, joining us here on the podcast. Sherrod, the, I, I feel like this is almost premature. I was expecting big things out of the Celtics team at some point. I didn't think it would be 15 games into the season. And now they got a showdown with the reigning, you know, the defending champs mm. on TNT. This is crazy. 13 straight wins after those first two losses. What's going on? Insane. Absolutely <laughs> insane. I mean, we were hoping, look, if they can get a 500 by the 15-game mark, we were they were going to feel pretty good about themselves. When you lose Gordon Hayward, you know, less than five minutes into the season, uh, Al Horford, he goes back into the concussion protocol program for a couple games. Kyrie Irving gets whacked in the face by a teammate. He has to miss a game. I mean, think about this for a second. The, the Celtics went into this offseason trying to put together their own big three. Their big three of Al Horford, of Kyrie Irving, of Gordon Hayward have played less than five minutes together <laughs> this season. And that team is 13-2. and two. That does not happen. That is video game action yeah. you talk about right now. That stuff doesn't happen in the real world. Uh, but they're finding ways to get it done. And what's making it so special is – they're getting it done with lots of different players, lots of young players, which, as we both know, young boys don't know how to get it done in this league. But apparently it's a new day, a new dawn in the NBA where apparently they do, at least the ones that Boston gets. You know, Ashrod, it's a great point. I don't think anybody with how Hayward was lost, uh, and you saw a little bit of the hangover the following night. But after that, this team just took off. I don't think Brad Stevens gets enough credit, and and I've said, listen, you, yeah, Greg Popovich is Greg Popovich. You can never deny his legacy, but I don't know that there's a better head coach in the NBA right now than Brad Stevens. Is there an appreciation internally in that locker room for his brilliance and, and how he's able to make all these things work when, to your point, on paper, they shouldn't be able to run win 13 in a row. They, they shouldn't be able to do some of the things they've done in terms of dealing with all the issues they've had with this new group. Oh, my goodness. Look, I'm, I'm waiting for the day I walk into that locker room and I just see a, a shrine with all the players <laughs> signing their sneakers or, or jerseys or something, and, and Brad faces at the top of that because he really has been amazing. Every time you talk to Marcus Morris, who has a good game, at some point he'll make reference to Brad Stevens and talk about him as, as a guru. Uh, you have other players who talk about the system that they're in. That That's a lot of why the success uh, has come so easily to them. Or at least it looks that way. Uh, the one thing about Brad that I will say is that he has been able to do, uh, he has been able to develop trust uh, in those young guys. And, and, and I say that because he's made it clear that I don't see you as a young guy. I see you as an NBA player. I see you as someone who's going to get an opportunity to prove yourself earlier uh, rather than later. You know, and you guys both, both know this. Typically, young guys, when they come in the league, they learn through their mistakes. Brad Stevens says, we're not going to do that. You're going to learn through video study. You're going to learn through practice. You're going to learn by talking to Al Horford, listening to Kyrie Irving, doing those type of things so that when you do get on the game and you do get on the floor, you're not looking like a chicken with your head cut off and making silly mistakes that people expect rookies and young guys to make. So he really has been able to convince them that, yeah, you're young, but you are ready. Keep sweat. Shout out to Keep Sweat right there. Um, <laughs> and those guys are buying it. They're totally buying into that. And, and to me, that has been the 
to me, the miracle in all of this, the fact that he has convinced 19, 20, and 21-year-olds that you are not young in this league. You're ready to actually not only play, but play well and help us win games. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the work they've done with Jalen Brown and the work Jalen Brown has done for himself has been re- remarkable. Tatum coming in and blending in immediately, Sherrod. Steve Kerr said some interesting stuff, mm-hmm. you know, looking at Boston – you know, and just kind of projecting where they might be. And I, and I love Brad Stevens' response. Like, hey, I, we appreciate it. I got mad respect for Steve Kerr, but we got to stay in the here and now. Yeah. Is is the gravity mm-hmm. of what they deal with on a daily basis what connects him the way it does to his players? Just they understand they're not dealing with a coach who's into the politics of NBA coaching, into trying to be anything other than the coach of this basketball team. You know, they don't have to worry about him playing games, personnel-wise, any of that stuff. It's just coaching, just trying to make you better. I mean, does that resonate with those guys in that locker room maybe more than anything? It, it does. And, you know, and they, they, they understand that Brad is a straight, no-chaser guy about things. Uh, he, if you are not playing well, he doesn't care whether you've been a four-time All-Star or a 14-time All-Star. He's going to keep it real with you. And, you know, and Kyrie Irving, I think, is the one guy I, I focus in on when I think about him connecting because I think people forget that Kyrie has four coaches in six years. Uh, and that is a lot of instability. And each of those coaches had their own idea of how to utilize him. And with Brad, he's got a guy who not only is intelligent, and knows his ex's knows, but he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, Danny Ainge right. made that absolutely clear with the, with the uh, the contract extension they gave Brad. Brad has made that clear multiple times, and I think that has allowed the Celtics' best player to trust the head coach in a way that I don't think he has been able to trust any of his previous coaches in the NBA. And to me, that begins to filter down to the rest of those guys. Because if Kyrie is following Brad's lead, if I'm Jason Tatum, why would I do anything different? And if I'm Jalen Brown, he already showed me last year that I will play you, but if you're not getting it done, you will sit. So you have to step your game up and be consistent about it. And, and again, you go down the line with all the guys who were either uh, with the team last year, which there's only four of them, or guys who are familiar with him, uh, he has been able to develop a trust uh, based upon him doing the one thing that we also try to do and just keep it real, be who we are. Yeah. Now, that's, that's, I mean, incredible stuff and, and it, an impressive start. But, you know, the question's going to continue to arise. Have we been down this road before? Because we, we saw a similar dynamic last season and, the Cavs didn't look like a championship-caliber team. Struggled mm-hmm. mightily down the stretch. We're seeing that again now. Celtics playing great basketball, but is there a sense that this team, without Hayward now, let's keep in mind, is going to be ready to finally get over the hump and, and dethrone LeBron and the Cavs? This is the best shot that they've had since Brad Stevens has been here. And I, I'm still not – convinced that, uh, you know, people are ready to write the obit on the Cavaliers. I'm not one of them. I still think until Isaiah Thomas gets back, how does this team respond with another dynamic score uh, along with LeBron James? Uh, can that be what, this, what they need to right the ship, so to speak? Uh, until he comes back, I think you really have to just kind of leave Cleveland where they are, which is the team 
to beat still in the East, but make no mistake about it, the Celtics are coming. It, it really, when you look at the way they're they're built now, and you look at the way they're preparing for the future, it's not a matter of if, but when are they going to be the team to be in the East? And right now, the way they've been balling, I mean, they they acting like it's today. Uh, I'm not convinced of that, not totally sold on that, but based upon the way they have handled adversity uh, on and off the court, the way they've found ways to win games that, frankly, they had no business winning. Uh, that says a lot about Brad. It says a lot about these players, and it says a lot about their ability to really lock in and be on one accord with one goal, and that's find a way to win. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love the early season clash of Titans, Sharon. Mm. And you know what else I love? Anytime we get a chance to see you suited and booted, yes, sir. You know, running around with that, you know, that wardrobe of yours. You talk about Keith Sweat, which is every every time he's working. You know, what I'm saying, eat your heart out, Keith Sweat. You got well, that? No, you know, right, that's what J.J. Evans would say. What can I say? <laughs> can I, say? <laughs> I just try to keep it classy because it used to be ash. No doubt, man. Listen, we appreciate it. It's going to be interesting. We're going to see what they do Thursday night and keep watching the Celtics team all season. And uh, we appreciate you taking a few minutes, man. Appreciate it so much. Not a problem, fellas. Good talking with you. All right. Hey, Sherrod Blakely here on the Hangtime Podcast of NBC Sports Boston. Locked in, G.A. Mm-hmm. And, and really, if we get a – I'm I'm not throwing Cleveland overboard yet. No. Nobody's doing that, obviously. But if we don't get a a, a four-peat of the Warriors Cavaliers, I want it to be Warriors Boston. I want it. I want Boston to be that team in the East for a couple of reasons. One, if they believe in their heart of hearts that they're ready for this level to to hit that championship level, there's no greater time than now to see if you got that in you. Mm. And if we're gonna do cities, if you're gonna do a cross country finals trip and it's not la new york or boston is my one of my favorite playoff cities to be in i love when we get to finals in boston yeah the, the passion for that oh. fan base for all of their pro sports because let's face it northeast is about pro sports yes right yes you know being in new york all those years look they appreciate collegiate sports no doubt about it but the passion in those areas if you're in boston patriots Red Sox, yeah. Bruins, and Celtics, and similar in in New York and D.C. and, and Philly. So yeah, that, there's no doubt about that. And and you know if you're Boston, why not? I mean, the Celtics were ahead of schedule. No one had generally teams that compete for a championship going into the season. Yeah. You're saying these are the teams, they're and they they're right. there. Golden State was not being talked about that year. They wanted no, they just weren't. And, 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 it's not revisionist history. It's a reality. No, it's the truth. No, they were. Know. They basically, like a lot of people, are looking at this Boston. They were ahead of schedule. Yeah, they were ahead of schedule, and things went their way in terms of some injuries and and what. However, you you break it down. So, who's to say? You know, yeah. and I always say this about young players and young teams. What's scary about them is you don't know what their ceiling is. Yeah, you don't know. No one knew Michael Jordan would be considered the greatest player to ever play the game when he got drafted. Sure. You know, when he so, didn't get drafted number one. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So who's to say with the way Kyrie's playing, uh, the, the infusion of confidence he's given him, the improvement of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum is, is proving to be a huge boon for Danny Ainge. And that was one reason he made the trade. He was their number one guy all along. Right. So he just waited to make the best deal he could, and he said, "Why not make the trade? I can get my guy at three. Yeah, it's like, hey, it's like KG said, anything's possible. Yeah, and you know, nothing wrong with being a preemie, 
You no. know, nothing wrong with being a little bit early. I was a preemie. You know, I was a, I was like six weeks early, I think. Yeah. Hell, I like uh, I like soft batch cookies. I mean, you know, <laughs> like my cookies are a little soft. I don't like them hard and crispy. I mean, let's get it. Do it now. Do it now. Keeping the theme going, GA, um, the Celtics-Warriors could be rivalry mm-hmm. that's bubbling. Be bubbling on TNT on Thursday night. Let's see if our main man, John Schumann, can keep it rolling with the Schumann stat this week. Fellas. Shoe. Shoe, what's up, brother? What's happening? We are good, man. Trying to figure it out, sir. I was at Celtics Nets uh, last night, Mm -hmm. which uh, continued my um, basketball crush on Jason Tatum. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. This guy, I mean, if it weren't for Ben Simmons, this dude would be, you know, rookie of the year material, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, he's a good defender, first of all. And then second of all, his offense has just um, been fantastic. The one thing I love is that the Celtics are putting him in positions to succeed in that they're not asking him to do anything except sort of attack the defense in rotation. Like they, other guys make other guys initiate the offense, and then they get the ball to Tatum with sort of the defense in rotation and allow him to attack closeouts. Right, and that's like I feel like that's like ninety percent of his offense. But that's not a slight at him because there's probably ninety nine percent of rookies wouldn't be able to do with it what, he what he's been yeah, doing. Absolutely, you know, he shot really well off the catch. He ranks third in catch-and-shoot three-point percentage in the whole league right now. He's 19 for 34 on catch-and-shoot threes. He's got a nice little sort of one-dribble pull-up, and he, and he can get to the basket, too. You know, against the rotating defense, he finds the holes. He, and the thing I love about him is he doesn't hesitate at all. Like, he, gets, he catches the ball. There's no, like, way to beat and figure out what I'm doing. Like, he catches the ball, and he knows where he's going. Um, he gets to the basket really well. Not shooting great at the basket, but his free throw rate is great. Like he's getting to the his free throw rate is twentieth in the league. That's basically he's going to the line. He's got he has forty one free throw attempts per hundred shots from the field, which ranks twentieth in the league among one hundred and fifty players that have taken at least a hundred shots. So Listen, he's really shoot, impressive. The, look, he's got parents. This, you can't adopt him. This is not an adoption agency. <laughs> <laughs> so. Anyway, so anyway, his overall effective field goal percentage right now is 57.9%, which is well above the league average, which is around 52%. Mm-hmm. So it got me thinking, all right? So what – and that, that seems really impressive for a perimeter rookie, right? Like okay. what rookies come in and shoot well as a, as a rookie, like uh, perimeter rookies, like not just a big guy that comes in and, and shoots layups and dunks all the time right so i went and looked at effective field goal for percentage for rookies who took at least 500 shots from the field in their in their rookie year and i found the five highest perimeter rookies so no bigs mm-hmm. like if you look at effective field goal percentages rookies 500 shots the top three are steve johnson otis thorpe buck williams three big guys so i just looked at perimeter guys um so here's a trick this is good this is tough these are tough so i'm going to give you a clue for each one all right Number number five on the list, a guy who had an effective field goal percentage of 57%, basically, mm-hmm. as a rookie for the 96-97 Rockets. He started all 82 games for the 96-97 Rockets, who had Akeem, Clyde Drexler, Charles Barkley, and that was basically the peak of his career, starting 82 games for the, for the Rockets, wow. and then he basically lasted six... Six years in the league. From the 96 Houston Rockets? 96-97 Rockets. So Gosh. a couple years after they won their their two titles. 
Hmm. There's a guard, shooting guard. You see, yeah. And I was gonna, I was gonna oh, guess oh, Robert Ory, oh. but I said no after you. Didn't he play? At, didn't he play at Penn? Is that? Did he play at Penn? That's a good question. I know. I feel who it like is. he hit like a big shot in the playoffs one year. <clears> Two. <throat> and he was a rookie that started that many games. Eight, all eighty-two. Yeah, wow. Matt Maloney. Matt Maloney, correct. Yes, he played at Penn. You're played right. Played at Penn. Yeah. How in the hell did you know that? That was the well, peak of. <laughs> fool! First of all, I played in the league in that year. I know. And I had to play against them. Then you just gotta you gotta narrow it down. Well, who was a rookie Lord, on that only team? Five thousand players. <laughs> like, yeah, so he, he, yeah, he he shot forty percent from three as a rookie. Like I said, that was the 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 peak of his. His career right there as a rookie. We gotta, you know go, we gotta go back and look. Did Matt Maloney give you like twenty or something one night? Because you remember this dude. Like. No, no, you know why? Well, you remember because he was a rookie on the team. But it also speaks to one reason why Jason Tatum's playing Play well. Yeah. Is because he's on a really good team With veteran guys. where he's not yeah. the focal point yeah. of the offense. So the right. it's not just your ability to make shots. I tell people this all the time. It's your ability to take good shots. Yeah. And yeah. so when you the better the team you play on, it's one reason why the Warriors are so good. How many times you see the Warriors taking nine one one shots sure. or yeah. trying to beat the shot clock because of the ball movement, the execution, and the overall IQ of the group? So their shot selection so much higher. Yeah, you know you and it, look, we all love Jason Tatum, but you know you put Jason Tatum on, on Sacramento, Sacramento, yeah, where he's being asked to do different down, things, where yeah. you don't have the same level of talent. Um. That does affect how well you shoot the basketball. And it's the same thing sure. when you're a great player on a bad team because you end up having to take tough shots right. at the end of the shot clock. That's a great – I'm serious. I was thinking, who could that be? Matt Maloney, out of nowhere. Good GA. Well, I couldn't remember the name initially. But I had to <laughs> wait for that one. I knew, and I was like <laughs> Ivy League. I, knew, yeah. I was like, he went to Penn, didn't he? Yep. And we got four yep. more of these? Good Lord. All right. So the Strap next one is a, is a guy who started – 81 of 82 games as a rookie for the 2010-11 Knicks, which is the year that they got Carmelo halfway through the season. Okay, now what, what was a, a, this was a guy that, what, what did you say about him again? Yeah, so his, his effective field goal percentage was 57%. And this, again, as a rookie, was the peak of his career. 2010-11 Knicks started 81 of 82, even with you know the Carmelo, you know, they oh, had Amari. I know, I know who this is. Landry Fields. Landry yeah, Fields, that's right. correct. I, knew it. I remember him being Second a rookie round, too, yeah. And another situation where he was on a really, really good, good team. Veteran team, yeah. Yep. All right. And then after that, man. Um, <laughs> oh, don't don't hate. Let's just keep – let's move on to number three. Third guy. <laughs> um, 90, rookie as for the 94-95 Suns. Mm-hmm. Shot 50 – had an effective field goal percentage of 58%. Uh, played – Richard Dumas. Let's see. <laughs> no, played eleven years in the league. His brother is uh, was is was the more uh, well known player, and his brother unfortunately is well known right now for getting in some trouble. Oh gosh, Wesley Person. Yeah. Wesley Person, yeah. correct. Yeah. Don't hate on Chuck. It's my guy. I'm gonna leave. Yeah. I'm gonna leave Chuck alone. Wesley right. Person, innocent until proven guilty. That's right. Man. Wesley Person. You know what? There are a lot of players that go down in the annals of the league of being, you know, that kind of come and go have a cup of coffee. I remember I thought he was going to be a dude who played 
15 years in the league because of his skill set. Yeah. He was probably ahead of his time, though, in terms of the way he could play. Well, he lasted 10. Like, I don't think yeah, we, we, we that's a good remember career, him yeah. as a 10-year guy. Yeah, that's a good career. Yeah, and he wasn't – no one thought what he was going to be a superstar. Superstar, so, no, but just one yeah. of those dudes that played for him. All right, keep going, Shoot. Num- number two on the list is – was a rookie for the 95-96 Clippers. Mm-hmm. And is a colleague of ours at NBA TV. You know, basically everybody Brent works Barry. here play for the Clippers at some point. Brent Barry. 58% effective field goal for percentage of 58% from Brent Barry. In the, bones. With the 95-96 Clippers. Look at bones making the list. Yep. And number one. Now, this is a tough one because I, I went for guys that are not power forwards or centers. But I feel like this guy played some minutes at power forward. Okay. He's a Hall of Famer. Rookie for the 82-83 Lakers. Small forward slash power forward, but I put him on this on this sort of primordial entry 82, list. 82-83, you said Sixers? Lakers. 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 Oh, good, because I was like, the Sixers won it that year with Moses, and they beat the Lakers that year, and he was a slash power forward. Small forward. Small yeah. forward slash power forward. Uh Oh, well, that was uh, James Worthy. James Worthy, right? James Worthy, yeah. correct. Big game James. You you know, it's weird. You said he was like, yeah, he's kind of a slash small forward. Power. No, he was, a, he was a small forward. Yeah. Because yeah, remember, they had figured... Rambis was at the power forward. They had Landsberg yeah. at the power forward. McAdoo played some. He was yeah, a small was, forward. Yeah. He was a pro. Yeah. In fact, he was one of the first guys that had that kind of quickness right. to go along with the size at that position. Yeah, he's a big. I mean, he's a big. He was big, forward. but he was a small forward. Yeah. Baller right. with Mike yeah. McGee. Remember, yeah, from Michigan, baby, I love it. I remember that team, by the way. That was one of my favorite teams yeah. growing up. They got swept that year. Yeah, but so it so pretty. Tatum on pace right now to to be right behind Worthy on on that list. Wow, that's Second. impressive. That's outstanding. That's impressive. Because yeah, yeah, you think about it, like rookies do not typically shoot well you know it takes them a year or two to find their shot find you know become efficient scores and and in fact like perimeter talk about talk about free throw rate that makes in in regards to scoring efficiency which is a little bit different true shooting percentages measures more uh, efficiency because it takes free throw attempts into account right um tatum's even higher ranked than he is in effective field goal percentage in the league so he's um yeah he's scoring really efficiently well and he's more i think in line with Worthy as well because, you know, he's a great player playing with great players yeah. on a great yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good look for him. It's a good look for the for the Celtics shoe. Appreciate it. Uh, as always, you uh, taking us to school here. I don't know. Yeah. Dude, I don't know. I'll tell you what. I can't believe you got that first one. Matt Malone, who would have yeah, come up well, with that? I, I'm, dude, the only, only dude thing is – Exactly. That's why. But remember, I couldn't remember the name, but I knew it because he was like – you know, he kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I don't think he was a first-round pick or anything, yeah. but but he got the opportunity. They had some injuries that year. They were just coming off that championship. I think Crazy. Chuck was on that team. That's interesting. Right, right. Matt Maloney. I, yeah. you, now I'm like, it's Jock Memory now. She appreciate it. Now you're going to have me looking up Matt Maloney stuff all night. <laughs> Thanks, you. Appreciate you. All right, fellas. <laughs> all Take right, it easy, Barter. John Schumann in the Schumann stat, as always. Look, though, that wasn't as complicated as I thought, so I'm hopeful that bragging rights – will look better than I remember it They're going to look mind. good for you. I, I, don't, I think I may have won one game. GA was 0-3. I, yes! I, I, I thought yes! I may have, but I did not. Yes! So now I got to get to work. Yes! Now Seku is 4-2. 
GA one and five. Let's Ooh. get it. Oh, that's easy. I can make that happen in two <laughs> weeks. Long Let's season. get it. The Rockets, Bucks, and Celtics came through for Saker. Yes. Thank you, Giannis. Thank you, Harden. And thank you, Kyrie. There it is. Appreciate it. So this week we have Thursday Warriors Celtics TNT. I know the, the streak has to end at some point. It does. Um, but this this is a Celtics team that's given the Warriors fits the past couple of years. Um, but you're not picking them. But I'm going to go with the Warriors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm going. I, I got to go with the Warriors there as well. All right. Then we're going to go to Sunday. Another Sunday matinee, Wizards at Raptors. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. I got to tell you something, man. I was thoroughly impressed with the Raptors yes. last night. Yes, yes. And, and not, you know, listen, you're going to have some off nights, and the, and the the Rockets were off, but. But they went in there and roughed them up. Yeah, the, and we. I, I thought it would be a physical game. Y'all said that on players' own. And, and, man, I, but I did not expect to see the real OG, a newbie. Yeah. Come out he and went, do that. Kid is, off. you know, but for the it's funny too because his college Tom Crean was texting me during the game. But for his injury, you know, he you're probably a, yeah. talking about a guy that could have been a lottery pick, right? You know, and he right. was his offense is and he ain't broke offensively, but what he does defensively, his quickness and athleticism, How physically is, and then uh, it, you know it kind of it rubs off. You know, they they. The Raptors aren't bad, man. They've been under the radar. I yeah, because Lowry's hadn't played. Lowry hasn't had a hasn't, twenty point yeah. game yet this That's season. Unbelievable. Last night's the first time he's averaging two free throw attempts a game coming into last night, and that listen when one of your one of your stars is that bad because generally stars aren't that far from being what they can what, be. Yeah, yeah. Now that was impressive. It was impressive. Who you got? Who Y'all you still got? have uh, I'm going so with Toronto. Wizards Raptors. I'm going to take the Wizards. I'm going to go with Toronto. I think I think the Wizards, until they show me otherwise, are a bit of a, might, pa- a might, paper dragon this year. Might be Sunday. So we'll see. Well, maybe I can, can sneak one, pick up one right there. <laughs> All right, stick on Sunday so you can have your league pass doubleheader. 7 o'clock Sunday, Pistons at Wolves. Detroit basket. Look, I'm picking the Pistons until further notice. On, on bragging rights. I'm, I was hoping you were going to say it because I wanted to pick the Pistons. No, I'm down with the home team until further notice. If I don't pick the Pistons, I got a lot of people at home that will be looking for me. So. All right, I'm going to go with the Timberwolves. Because yeah, that's in basketball. Minnesota, right? Yes. Mini- I don't care if they play in the middle of Lake Michigan. basketball. <laughs> I don't care if they play in the middle of Lake Michigan. I'm going with the Pistons until further notice. Look, thank you, Stan Van Gundy. Appreciate it. Appreciate you cranking it back up in the Motor City, baby. I hate to do that to GA on his birthday, to, to, to bomb him on bragging rights like that. That's no, not cool. No, no, you got me good. That's dude. not cool. Happy birthday, brother. Take that L. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy it while you can. Enjoy it. We got to give a uh, a big shout-out to Zach Barron of GQ. Join us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Our main man, Sherrod Blakely from NBC Sports Boston, setting us up beautifully for that big TNT matchup on Thursday night. Our main man, John Schumann, with the uh, Brain Twisters, as always, on the Schumann stat. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every week this season of the Hang Time Podcast. And don't forget to leave a review. Give us some of that good love. Let us know how we're doing. And we'll see you right here next week, Turkey Day, on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every Thursday this season. And as always, say Kuna Matata.